Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 61st installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 presentations prepared and delivered by Pope John Paul II during the five years 1979 through 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. We are reflecting with reference to Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount on the problem of the ethos of the body in works of art. The roots of this issue are very deep. Here, one should recall the series of analyses carried out about Christ's appeal to the beginning and then about his appeal to the human heart in the Sermon on the Mount. The human body, the naked human body and all the truth of its masculinity and femininity has the meaning of a gift of the person to the person. Due to the dignity of the personal subject, the ethos of the body, that is, the ethical order of its nakedness, is closely related to that system of reference, understood as a spousal system, in which giving by one party encounters the appropriate and adequate response to the gift by the other. This response is decisive for the reciprocity of the gift. Artistic objectification of the human body in its male and female nakedness for the sake of making it first a model and then a subject of a work of art is always a certain transfer outside of this configuration of interpersonal gift that belongs originally and specifically to the body. It constitutes in some way an uprooting of the human body from this configuration and a transfer of it to the dimension of artistic objectification specific to the work of art or to the reproduction typical for film and photographic technologies of our time. In each of these dimensions, and in each of them in a different way, the human body loses that deeply subjective meaning of the gift and becomes an object destined for the knowledge of many, by which those who look will assimilate or even take possession of something that evidently exists, or rather should exist, by its very essence on the level of gift, a gift by the person to the person, no longer, of course, in the image, but in the living man. To tell the truth, this act of taking possession happens already on another level, that is, on the level of the object of artistic transfiguration or reproduction. It is, however, impossible not to realize that from the point of view of the ethos of the body, understood deeply, a problem arises here. It is a very delicate problem that has various levels of intensity, depending on various motives and circumstances, both on the side of artistic activity and on the side of knowledge of the work of art or its reproduction. From the fact that this issue arises, it does not at all follow that the human body in its nakedness cannot become the subject of works of art, only that this issue is neither merely aesthetic nor morally indifferent. In our earlier analyses, especially those regarding Christ's appeal to the beginning, we devoted much space to the meaning of shame and tried to understand the difference between the situation and state of original innocence 
in which both were naked, but they did not feel shame. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the later situation and state of sinfulness, in which the specific need for intimacy with regard to their bodies arose between man and woman together with shame. In man's heart, subject to concupiscence, this necessity serves also indirectly to ensure the gift and the possibility of reciprocal self-giving. This necessity forms also man's way of acting as an object of culture in the widest meaning of the term. When the culture shows an explicit tendency to cover the nakedness of the human body, it certainly does not do so only for climactic reasons, but also in relation to the process of the growth of man's personal sensibility. The anonymous nakedness of the man object contrasts with the progress of an authentically human culture of morality. It is probably possible to confirm this point also in the life of so-called primitive peoples. The process of sharpening personal human sensibility is certainly a factor and fruit of culture. Behind the need for shame, that is, for the intimacy of one's own body, about which the biblical sources inform us with such precision in Genesis chapter 3, a deeper norm lies hidden, that of the gift oriented toward the very depths of the personal subject or toward the other person, especially in the man-woman relation according to the perennial order of reciprocal self-giving. Thus, in the processes of human culture understood in the broad sense, we observe even in the state of man's hereditary sinfulness a rather explicit continuity of the spousal meaning of the body in its masculinity and femininity. Original shame, known already from the first chapters of the Bible, is a permanent element of culture and morality. It belongs to the very origins of the ethos of the human body. A person of developed sensibilities crosses the limit of that shame only with difficulty and inner resistance. This is clear even in situations that otherwise justify the necessity of undressing the body. For example, in the case of medical examinations or operations, in a group by themselves, one should also recall other circumstances, the example given, those of concentration camps or places of extermination, where the violation of bodily shame is a method used consciously to destroy personal sensibility and the sense of human dignity. Everywhere, though in different ways, the same line of order is reconfirmed. Following his personal sensibility, man does not want to become an object for others through his own anonymous nakedness, nor does he want the other to become an object for him in a similar way. It is evident that he does not want to, to the degree in which he lets himself be guided by the sense of the dignity of the human body. There are, in fact, various reasons that can induce incite and even press man to act contrary to what the dignity of the human body connected with personal sensibility demands. One cannot forget that the fundamental inner situation of historical man 
is the state of the threefold concupiscence. See 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. This state, and in particular the concupiscence of the flesh, makes itself felt in various ways in the inner impulses of the human heart, as well as in the whole climate of relationships between human beings and in social morality. We cannot forget this point, not even when we consider the issue of the wide sphere of art, above all when it has the character of a visual image or show, and likewise when one is dealing with mass culture, which is so significant in our times because it is connected with the broadcasting technology of audiovisual communication. The question arises, when and in what case this sphere of man's activity, from the point of view of the ethos of the body, should be accused of pornovision, just as some writing has been and is being accused of pornography. That second term is older. The one as well as the other happens when one oversteps the limit of shame, or of personal sensibility with regard to what is connected with the human body, with its nakedness, when, in a work of art or by audiovisual media, one violates the body's right to intimacy in its masculinity and femininity, and, in the final analysis, when one violates that deep order of the gift and of reciprocal self-giving, which is inscribed in femininity and masculinity, across the whole structure of being human. This deep inscription, or rather incision, is decisive for the spousal meaning of the human body, that is, for the fundamental call it receives, that of forming the communion of persons and of participating in it. If we now break off our consideration, which we intend to continue next Wednesday, we should note that the observance or violation of this order, which is so closely connected with man's personal sensibility, cannot be indifferent for the problem of creating a climate favorable to chastity in life and social education. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 61st Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. To better understand this catechesis, it's good for us to see just where we are situated in Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. The first part of the two parts of the Theology of the Body focuses our attention on the words of Christ. What did Jesus Christ say? He was not just speaking to those of his time period, to Pontius Pilate, to Nicodemus, to Lazarus, but his words are for all times and all places and all peoples. And so many of his words are recorded in sacred scripture, especially in the Holy Gospels. The first chapter of the first part of the Theology of the Body focuses our attention on the words of Christ when he appeals to the beginning. The question was asked, Moses permitted a decree of divorce. Is this okay? And the Lord Jesus reminds us that in the beginning God created them male and female. In the divine image, he created them. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And so we have, coming from all of that, the original holiness, the original unity, the original justice, and even the original sin with its sad consequences. Christ calls us to holiness. 
This is the appeal he makes to us, to all. The second chapter in which we are in, in the 61st Catechesis, Christ appeals to the human heart. And so the question was asked, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. I say, Do not even look with the disordered desire. So the question is, How is it we look upon each other? Christ appeals to our hearts. He did not come to appeal to puppy dogs or kitty cats. They do not need salvation. They need to be saved from us. But we need to be saved from ourselves. And Christ can do that. Christ has done that. And he is doing that if we let him. But the catechesis we heard today, the 61st out of the 133, is part of the appendix to chapter 2 the ethos of the body in art and media. And this arises because if Christ has told us not to have a disordered look upon another, not only personally, but also anonymously, in a sense, through art, through media, art of paintings, art of sculpture, art of poetry or drama, literature, photography, videography, the internet now, the radio, how is it that we speak about each other? How is it we depict each other? How is it that we look upon another? So the ethos of the body is at play in the social communication, in the media. Why? Because those who make it are human beings. Why? Because those who use it are human beings. Why? Because those who are so often depicted are human beings. This is why there is an ethos of the body in art and media. These are things which our Holy Father is addressing. One point in this 61st Catechesis, which jumped out at me, was when the Holy Father said the human body, the naked human body, in all the truth of its masculinity and femininity, has the meaning of a gift of the person to the person. Some years ago, there was a James Bond movie, For Your Eyes Only, and it was partly right, because only the husband, only the wife should see the body of the other. It was partly wrong because James Bond was not married to any of those gals. The human body, the naked human body, in all the truth of its masculinity and femininity, has the meaning of a gift, a gift of the person to the person. It was not just Pontius Pilate who denied the possibility of truth. What is truth? He asks during the Passion. But there have been skeptics throughout the ages before Pilate and even to our own day. Well, that's true for you, says the relativists, trying to make a truth statement. Aristotle reduces those who would deny truth to basic houseplants, for a houseplant says nothing, and so therefore does not invoke any sense of truth, nor does a houseplant contest truth. So those who deny truth, according to Aristotle, would be reduced to the conversational status of a houseplant. The truth of the human body in its masculinity and femininity has the meaning of a gift. There are those, nominalists they're called, who deny that there is any meaning. But the thing is, when they deny that there's any meaning, do they mean what they say when they say there is no meaning? Again, it's the law of non-contradiction at play. And the moment they say that there is no meaning, do they mean that there is no meaning when they say there is no meaning? So they just kick the can down the road. But Pope John Paul II recognizes that there is truth, and he knows that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he recognizes the meaning 
of creation, the meaning of humanity, male and female, created in the image of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Christ has appealed to our hearts to be pure, to look upon each other with holiness. This 61st Catechesis addresses artistic objectification of the human body in three different aspects. A model is made, or one is a model upon which the subsequent art object would be based. Then the subject, this is the subject upon which I will draw my lens or my paintbrush or my chisel. I'm going to depict this. And then also a reproducible work. So that's more for the mass culture aspect. Pope John Paul II is not discouraging uh, artistic uh, activity with human subjects, human models, or even reproducibles, but calling us to be careful in how we do what we do. These dimensions as a model, as a subject, as a reproducible work show a loss of a deeply subjective meaning of the gift of the human body because once it takes it between husband and wife, we have to be careful uh, who, into whose hands do these art objects fall. Art makes the human body an object destined for the knowledge of many. And when the Pope uses the word knowledge, remember earlier he spoke of the Hebrew word yada. Adam knew his wife, yada, biblical knowledge, has the reference to the nuptial union. And so art makes the human body an object destined for the knowledge of many, allowing assimilation and possession to take place. And so prudence and temperance and modesty should be at play there because, uh, for your eyes only, this should be for my wife, this should be for my husband, they say to each other. Assimilation, at least in the attentional sphere, through my eyes I have taken into myself. Through my ears, I have taken into myself. The human body depicted in art is not merely an aesthetic issue, nor is it a morally indifferent issue. Again, because the one who is doing the depiction, the artist, is a human being. The one being depicted is a human being. And the one who will experience the art by viewing or listening the like, is another human being. And human activity engages not merely aesthetical issues, is this beautiful, is this well-made, or what, but it also involves ethical, moral issues. Is this good? Is this evil? And as there are those who deny that there is any truth, there are also those who would deny that there is any good or any evil. And that's the sad state of our world Today. Pope John Paul II addresses concupiscence four times in this 61st Catechesis. First, he says, Man's heart, subject to concupiscence, needs intimacy. No problem there. <clears throat> this indirectly ensures the gift of self and the possibility of reciprocal self giving. It's not a sin to have a need for intimacy, but the trouble with our age is intimacy is limited to genital activity. While that is a part of holy marriage, no question, the consummation of the vows, to share one's deepest desires, deepest longings, deepest joys, deepest sorrows, deepest fears, this is an intimacy which puppy dogs and kitty cats and barnyard animals do not engage in, but human beings can. Man's heart, subject to concupiscence, needs intimacy. 
and this ensures the gift of self and the possibility of reciprocal self-giving. And the trouble with so many depictions of the human body, the naked human body in art and media, is that there's no reciprocal self-giving because if someone is seeking sexual gratification through the means of some image, the one who is depicted is not actually receiving because the one depicted is not actually present. Pope John Paul II again addressing concupiscence says, even in the state of man's hereditary sinfulness, that is the state of concupiscence, a tendency to sin, the threefold concupiscence with the eyes, with the flesh, with the pride of life, even in the state of man's hereditary sinfulness, there is a rather explicit continuity of the spousal meaning of the body. Even though we're in a fallen state, you can't do away with our nature, and the nature shouts spousal meaning. The spousal meaning of the body and its masculinity and femininity, according to the perennial order of reciprocal self-giving, especially in the man-woman relation. Here again, the Holy Father is drawing our attention to the perennial order of the man-woman relationship, the perennial order of the spousal meaning of the body and its masculinity and its femininity. So he's not decrying homosexuality here, lesbianism here. But uh, if you wanted to do your focus there, you could say, well, that's not the perennial order. That is against the spousal meaning of the body. Another addressing of concupiscence in this 61st catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, goes like this. Pope John Paul II says, one cannot forget that the fundamental inner situation of historical man is the state of the threefold concupiscence. And he cites St. John's first letter, chapter 2, verse 16. The pride of life, the concupiscence of the eyes, the concupiscence of the flesh. Fundamental inner situation of historical man is the state of the threefold concupiscence. He says this even after the redemption. He says this after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says this after the ascension. He says this after the Pentecost. He says this as we await Jesus Christ's returning glory to judge the living and the dead. The same Jesus Christ who has appealed to our hearts, who has appealed to the beginning. The same Jesus Christ who gives us his grace, his help, his powerful presence in our lives, that we might be those blessed pure of heart. Pope John Paul warns us again of the threefold concupiscence, this fundamental inner situation, this fundamental inner state of historical man, so that we do not succumb to those tendencies to sin. Or, if we have, that we repent well, that we live and move and have our being in the grace of Almighty God, which is ours for the asking. The fourth reference to concupiscence in this 61st Catechesis is a continuation of that same passage. The state of the threefold concupiscence, especially that of the flesh, is felt in three ways, in inner impulses of the heart, in the climate of relationships in social morality. So a tendency to sin according to the flesh, according to the impulses of the heart. And this is what Jesus warns us about in the Sermon on the Mount. Not only not to commit adultery, but not to have that disordered look, that disordered desire regarding the other. 
In the climate of relationships, how do we treat each other? Not only interiorly, in our hearts, with our eyes, but also the way we actually treat each other. And the last one he mentioned there was social morality. Everybody's doing it. Well, this is the commonly accepted norm. If a society has a good social morality, then there's no trouble. But we remember that Pope John Paul II in this catechesis, number 61, and in the preceding ones and in the ones which follow, he cites Pope Paul VI, who reminds us that we are to create a climate favorable to education and chastity. And if that is drawn to our attention, it's because we live in a social climate, a society where morality is not favorable to education and chastity. How much lust, how much perversion is out there? In this 61st Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, Pope John Paul II not only addresses concupiscence in those four passages, but also addresses original shame. And he's already treated concupiscence in earlier passages, and he's already treated original shame, but he's revisiting it here again in this appendix to chapter 2, when Christ appeals to the human heart. And even as concupiscence is a permanent condition in this world, fallen nature, tendency to sin, so too is original shame, a permanent element of culture and morality. We cannot do away with it. We can act like it's not there, but it's there. Original shame, a consequence of original sin, is a permanent element in culture and morality. Culture has the root of its word in the word cult, which is to render worship. And so, in whose image are we made? We're made in God's image. Who is it that we are to worship? God. And how is it that we are to worship God? We are to glorify him in our bodies. And when we do that, we act morally. And when we don't act morally, it is a disordered cult, a cult of the body, a cult of pleasure, you name it. Original shame, John Paul II says, belongs to the very origins of the ethos of the body. What good we are to do with our bodies, what evil we are to avoid or repent with our bodies. And in light of this appendix which is treating the ethos of the body in art and media. The good we should be doing in art and media is modestly creating, modestly viewing, participating in artistic endeavors, endeavors in the medium. This is a part of the ethos of the body. There are four different circumstances which Pope John Paul II raises in view of the original shame wherein which our first parents covered themselves first with fig leaves and then God covered them with leather clothing. The Holy Father mentions two which are positive, but they're examples of the reality of original shame, keeping ourselves covered. And one was a medical examination. Even when we go to the doctor, there's a little embarrassment. Medical operations. So if we have to have a surgery, they might uncover one or another parts of our bodies. People we do not necessarily know, people to whom we're not necessarily married. And there's a little unease there, and there should be. That's part of our nature. The other two circumstances which Pope John Paul II mentions in this appendix are very negative. One was the concentration camps. The other were places of extermination, and sometimes exterminations happened in the concentration camps. Those two places, they violated bodily shame. There were conscious attempts to destroy personal sensibilities. 
personal dignity, personal worth, the value of the human body disregarded entirely in those places. And John Paul II knew of what he spoke, having grown up first under Nazi occupation and then under the communist realm in Poland. This perhaps is one reason why he's so adamant, so insistent upon having a true theology of the body. A theology of the body which respects the human being, the human person, in all its reality, whether face-to-face or depicted in the various forms of art, the different media. Until next time, God bless you.